0: Welcome to Canaanbaum Podcast, episode number 20. I'm Tom Barthel, glad to be serving as your host for this episode. We'll begin with Moment with the Master by Pastor Aaron Nitz.
1: The portion of God's Word that we are going to spend a moment with the Master with today is from the book of Revelation, chapter 1. This happens during John's vision of the risen lord that he received while exiled on the island of patmos after seeing an amazing vision of jesus alive and being crippled with fear at such a glorious sight we read jesus words and they say do not be afraid i am the first and the last i am the living one i was dead and behold i am alive forever and ever And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So what is it that gives you fear? Perhaps it's a medical trouble you're facing. Maybe it's a financial burden that's lying ahead for you. Or even, possibly it's losing someone you love. Or perhaps it's, go ahead and fill in the blank. You know, we fear lots of stuff in life, don't we? But finally, all fear comes down to one point, and that's death. One day, if Jesus doesn't return sooner, we will all face death, and we will all face standing before righteous and just and holy and perfect God to be judged. Think about it. A sinful human being as you and I are, standing before a holy and just God? Now that's scary. But what does Jesus say in this passage? He says, Do not be afraid. Why not? Because Jesus died and rose. Jesus died paying for your every sin. Jesus rose to show that God accepted the payment and your sins, every one of them, have been forgiven in full. Now your Savior holds the keys of death and the afterlife. Is that a good thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. So if God has taken care of our greatest fear, and he has, then what about all those other fears we face in life? Well, he remains with us, he will work all things out for our good, and he promises to bring us safely home to heaven. That means that we can approach all of life, confidently and boldly, because Jesus lives to drive away our fears. I'm living, not afraid. And so are you. Amen.
0: God gives the victory. Genesis fourteen seventeen 17-20 After Abram returned from defeating kedor La omar and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shavah, that is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, "Blessed be Abram by God most High, Creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand." Then Abram gave a tenth gave him a tenth of everything, after defeating the kings which he had pursued all across Canaan. Abram is on his way to return the people and plunder. You can imagine the response of the King of Sodom as he hears the news of their victory. They finally meet, just near what would be, many generations later, David's royal city, Jerusalem, where all the priest would be serving in the temple. But another man shows up. Who is the Melchizedek character? He's the person that is first recorded in history with the title priest. A priest, we know, is one who is selected to offer sacrifice to God and intercede on behalf of others to God. This is one good reason why in the Lutheran and many other non-Roman Catholic churches we don't call our ordained ministers priests, but give the titles like pastor, which means shepherd, or minister, which means servant, titles found for public servants of the church both in the Old and New Testaments of Scripture. The work of a priest, however, is something all believers hold, and the sacrifice has been accomplished in Christ once for all. The name of this priest is the King of Righteousness, or perhaps you could also read it with the prefix included my king is righteousness he is described as the king of Salem meaning peace perhaps Melchizedek is only mentioned here and in the messianic psalm, psalm 110 which is quoted by Jesus by the way and he's mentioned in the letter to the Hebrews his name occurs several times in the book of Hebrews in chapters 5, 6 and especially 7 Some Jewish tradition has said that he is Shem, the son of Noah. Some modern-day sects, break-offs of Christianity, also teach this. If Noah's son Shem even lived close to the 950 years his father did, this means, by the way, Noah lived an additional 350 years after the Great Flood, we could see how this could be a possibility. But this is only a conjecture, which is based on simply Noah's blessing for Shem. Conjecture and nothing more. Others note that Melchizedek is described as being without father or mother, beginning or end. They conclude he may have been a theophany of the pre-incarnate son of God or an appearing of the Holy Spirit. His lack of genealogy, however, isn't meant to drive us to speculation about where he came from or who he is or what he is. It's meant to help us illustrate and understand for us, help us illustrate and understand that it foreshadows Jesus. Jesus is our king. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus offered the perfect sacrifice once and for all, and he remains a priest forever. Melchizedek speaks with a proper focus. Blessed be Abraham by God Most High. All good blessings come from God, and praises do him for giving us the victory. Blessed be God Most High, who delivered our enemies your enemies into your hand, he says. Melchizedek was a priest of the true God. He knew the Lord is God over all, and it is the Lord, the God of Abraham, who gave Abram the victory. Abram concurred and desired to give thanks to God by giving a special thank offering to Melchizedek, who served the same one true God. When we find blessing in this life, there is only one person behind it, our God, who gives us the victory. Acknowledge him. All good things come from him including the gift of salvation, eternal life, victory over sin and death. Join with those who publicly serve in His church today and honor Him. We cannot help but thank Him for all He has done for you and me, given us the victory over sin and death through His Son. And His Son, your King, has given you His righteousness. He is a priest, a king, a prophet forever. And He gives us rest. This song, titled, Peace Be Still, comes from the Camp Phillip Choir. You. God's Word for You is by Pastor Timothy Smith.
2: God's Word for You, Job 5, verses 17 to 27. With these verses, Job's friend Eliphaz concludes his first speech, 17 and 18. Blessed is the man whom God corrects, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. Once again, we have excellent words from Eliphaz, Out of this context, they are superb and can be applied directly to our lives. To be corrected and disciplined by the Lord is truly a blessing because God is setting us lovingly back on the path where he wants us to be. He wounds, but he also binds up. These wonderful words are reflected by Hosea in Hosea 6. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. Verse 19. From six calamities he will rescue you. In seven no harm will befall you. This uh, verse uses a kind of parallelism that involves mathematical progression. The second number, here at seven, is always one more than the first. Here it was six, six calamities and then seven. But the numbers themselves change from author to author and from passage to passage depending on the emphasis of the text or other factors. Um. In the book of Amos, in just two chapters, there are eight examples of three and then four. And and uh, there's another example of six and then seven in Proverbs 6. Recently, we saw the 7-8 pattern in Ecclesiastes 11, which occurs also in Micah 5. The progressing pattern shows completeness, and in this case, the abundance of God's blessings. A variation of this 6-7 pattern is found in Lamech's sword song in Genesis 4, If Cain has avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. There the wicked Lamech, it's not Noah's father, it's another guy from Cain's line. He carries seven to the extreme of 77, showing the depth of his wrath and the severeness of his sinfulness. Jesus urged Peter to show the same extreme amount in forgiveness rather than vengeance. Don't forgive seven, but forgive 77 times. Verses 20 to 24. In famine he will ransom you from death, and in battle from the stroke of the sword. You will be protected from the lash of the tongue, and need not fear when destruction comes. You will laugh at destruction and famine, and need not fear the beasts of the earth. For you will have a covenant with the stones of the field, and the wild animals will be at peace with you. You will know that your tent is secure. You will take stock in your property and find nothing missing." Some people associate the covenant with the stones of the field in verse 23 with Jesus' parable of the sower, Matthew 13. Others with Jesus' words in Luke 19. It's a promise of blessing. Verse 22, you will laugh at destruction and famine. That anticipates the famous promise of peace from the Messiah in Isaiah 11. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. Certainly, verse 24... Uh, You will know that your tent is secure. You will take stock in your property and find nothing missing. Once again, there's a dig at Job's material losses earlier in the book. The problem with these words, which appear to be absolutely true, is that they're spoken for the wrong reason. Eliphaz is using the gospel as if it were a hammer, as if it were the law. I've been a friend who constantly sends me emails that are just old-fashioned chain letters. Their content goes something like this. If you really loved God, then send this beautiful message to 20 friends right away, and you'll receive a blessing today. If you don't love God or love your friends, then well oh, then delete this message. Of course, it's a scam. Somebody's using a beautiful message just to get email addresses for a mailing list or to send uh, some kind of a virus. But what I'm more concerned with, as I instantly delete such sweet-smelling garbage, is that too often the gospel message is used as law. God wants you to be happy or whatever, so you have to do this. There is never any you have to in the gospel. Here, Eliphaz is telling Job that if he wants God's blessings, so beautifully described here and echoed elsewhere in the Bible, then Job must repent of the sin he's been hiding, but there's no sin Job is hiding. The message is misplaced. And Job's friend, as amazing as this seems amid these wonderful words, Job's friend is actually withholding the gospel from Job by making it a condition of something that doesn't need to happen at all. Verses 25 and 26. You will know that your children will be many, and your descendants like the grass of the earth. You will come to the grave in full vigor, like sheaves gathered in season. Once again, Eliphaz brings up the tragedy of Job's children, implying that if only God will admit our only God uh, will admit or if only Job will admit that God is correcting him, he'll be blessed with many children. In fact, when Job did confess that God is holy and that he Job is sinful, God did bless Job with more children, but not for the same reason Eliphaz was talking about here. Verse 27. We have examined this and it is true, so hear it and apply it to yourself. The author presents the end of Eliphaz's speech as a couplet, a little two-line verse that concludes a longer poem. The whole argument of Eliphaz in chapters 4 and 5 might be outlined this way. First, part one, um, with an antistrophe. Shouldn't your piety be your confidence? Then a strophe. Even the mighty lions are subject to God. Finishing chapter four with an epity. The spirit said, can a man be pure before God? Part two beginning of chapter 5 with an antistrophe. Who will answer if you call, you fool? And then an epity, counterpoint. I would appeal to God. And finally, a strophe, a new thought. Blessed is the man whom God corrects. And then a little couplet. This is true. The pattern from Job's first speech and thought, and then throughout most of the speeches and thoughts throughout the book, is this same kind of thing. A strophe, a statement, often carried over from a previous chapter, then an antistrophe, a question asking the reverse or another expanded thought, followed by an epity, a new statement or a resolution of the first two. Since Eliphaz's speech doesn't follow this normal pattern, the author seems to be giving the reader or listener a clue that something is wrong with this supposedly wise speech. What underlies the words might seem to be common sense or worldly wisdom, but in fact it's plainly wrong. He's got it backwards. We see that by remembering that what was already revealed to us in chapters 2 about the true nature of Job's suffering and that Eliphaz is using gospel as law despite the fact that God said that he permitted the suffering to happen to test Job. Sometimes what sounds harsh and condemning to one person is actually the message of forgiveness and hope for believers. For example, when the prophet Obadiah says the day of the Lord is near for all nations, well, that's a warning to unbelievers, but it's a promise to those who trust God as our Savior. The free forgiveness of the Lord flows from the cross of Calvary into our hearts and lives. Um, Paul said in Ephesians 2, there's no condition to that forgiveness. It's ours. It's a gift from God. And it means eternal life through Jesus for everyone who doesn't turn away from him. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's word for you.
0: We'll close with a song by Chris Dreisbach from his album, Feed Your Faith, a song meant to encourage children this song is called We Love. It's just like brothers We love, love
3: each
4: other Cause Jesus loved us first I'm not always charming You're not always sweet Sometimes I can't imagine Washing off your feet but that's how Jesus loved us, a servant on his knees. Isn't that the way you dream? Of? But when I don't get my way, I turn into a jerk. I know I could be nicer. It seems like so much work. We We love, love 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 each other.
3: Just like sisters, just like like brothers. brothers. We We love, love love each other. other.
4: He washed away our sins when He died for you and me Like the man whose debt was forgiven by the King I forget God's grace and hold a grudge for little things I can't love like Jesus, just like I can't fly But he loved me so much It makes me want to try We love, love each other Just like
3: sisters, just like brothers We love, love each other
0: You've been listening to Canaan Bound Podcast, episode number 20. Today we'd like to thank Chris Dreisbach for allowing us to share his music. Visit ChrisDreisbach.com. We featured the album Feed Your Faith and also Camp Philip. Visit campphillip.com. You can also visit Cananbaum Podcast to find links to these artists. This episode was first shared on April of 2013. My name is Tom Barthel. I was glad to serve you for this episode. Visit Cananbaum Podcast to find more information. Find us also on Facebook. We encourage you to visit wells.net to find a Wells Ministry location Just nearest you. Thanks for listening.
3: Jesus can be found, he said. Peace, be still.